Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast, which delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 256, The Importance of Soil and Lessons from the Buffalo with Katie and Taylor from Rome Ranch. In this important conversation, we are going to be talking regenerative agriculture, the importance of soil health, poor food security, learning curve of homesteading and animal raising, and what we can learn from the buffalo and a lot of other things in between. Yes, it's certainly a fun conversation, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy them as guests. I think this is one that could be a good one to get outside and walk around with, not our typical beep-boo-bop-boo, nerdy, you need a pen and paper and highlighter for your functional medicine notes, but you will be inspired to get connected intimately with your food system and really get to know the ranchers that are producing the meats that you're consuming, as well as the farmers that are producing the produce that you're making and and learning how to be a part actively in your food system. And this has been something we've really been doing more over the last, I guess, year or so. You know, we featured Joel Soliton, so we'll put his episode on uh, learning the food labeling. Um, And we talked a lot about food industry and his biodynamic farming. And then the other one that comes to mind with our conversation today is the Daniel Vitalis Mm -hmm. conversation. Uh, So that's called Wild Fed. So we will put links to both of those episodes. If this topic resonates, I think that those are great connecting points. And maybe even Mike, uh, Metabolic Mike's uh, episode, because he did talk about his homesteading process and starting with chickens and things that he's learned in his own backyard with the pigs and such too. So we'll put those three episodes as well for inspiration. Before we go into the conversation, let's talk updates here. Yes. So first and foremost, the pre-sale of our Naturally Nourished Food as Medicine for the whole family is happening right now. You can get this entire program for the discounted rate of $99 before before it launches. So let's hit the highlights of the program. Yes, so the program itself is $149, which is still a fabulous value. It is over 100 plus hours of curated resources and we are providing three or five, I forget now, Becky, three hours of five plus hours, five plus hours of unique content for this program. And so the concept behind this is really as a platform for you to use with great confidence on supporting the health of your entire household. So we have information on why food matters, uh, really identifying what is a whole food, five things to eliminate from your pantry, label lingo and navigating the grocery store. And so that's kind of in this making it happen chapter. We also in that area on making it happen, talk about getting all the family members of your household on board with lifestyle and diet change from dining out to navigating events and parties. 
And then even determining what your why is, the reason behind making this commitment to optimal eating, you know, really tying into making this a true sustainable reality. Then we have a module all about each macro, so carbs, proteins, and fats, our favorite choices in these categories, considerations on sourcing and selection, those that fall in there, the foods that don't belong or shouldn't be consumed regularly, and then a way for you to determine what is a best kind of naturally nourished prescription of food as medicine for you. And you are able to do that for each household member. So we have information from baby led weaning, well, even prior, from fertility and hormone balance to uh, healthy pregnancy, baby led weaning to focusing with toddlers and food jags and getting uh, diversity, eating the rainbow and being a taste adventurer. So we have a really fun video we did with Stells where we talk about adversions to different textures and looking at the appearance of foods and the taste profiles and exploring foods to expand our palate. Uh, we go on even into kids and teens where we cover a really important video on ADHD and uh, mood stability and the shocking statistics of children ages 5 through 14 that are already medicated and how that can impact their neurotransmitter function and food as medicine and supplement strategy to use as an alternate or to support successful wean. Yes, and we even have a module on immune health, so everything that you should have in your wellness pantry or your pharmacy per se, as well as what you should have on hand to treat um, cuts, scrapes, bites, and the like. Um, and I think that in of itself is a really valuable resource and has been a huge ask from our listeners. Absolutely. So we go through the life cycle. So even past kids needs, we have information on hormone balance. We have information on gentle aging, the impact of stress and the HPA axis. It's all in one space. And like I said, we recorded a lot of novel new video. And then what we've done is in each of these category modules, we've curated the top resources from our YouTube channel, as well as our podcast episodes and specific resources of products that we may be discussing as an essential need, including supplements and uh, food products that we like and things outside of the naturally nourished line. And then each module will also have supportive handouts. So everything from calculating your protein needs to mastering your macros and really coming up with a whole household meal plan that everyone in the house can get behind to help with your weekly meal prep flow. We've got stress busting foods in there. There's one on the immune pharmacy. So all these supportive documents to go along and really tailor the program to you. Yes, and finally, there's an entire module within this program on cooking with whole foods. And so we talk about making vegetables taste good. We talk about uh, making salad dressings from scratch and balancing out that fat, acid, salt, sweet flavor profile and how to combine flavors to support nutrient absorption but also make things taste good so that everyone's enjoying the food as medicine process. So definitely go on over to AllieMillerRD.com under books and programs. You can purchase at the pre-sale $99 rate, naturally nourished food as medicine for the whole family. We are so excited to put this resource out here for you guys and know it's going to be a big hit. All right, next up, we are right now taking applications for naturally nourished supplement ambassadors. So we talked about this a little bit on 
our guest episode with Ashley Terry, all about skin health, and she is one of our ambassadors. Um, but we are taking new applications. If you love the Naturally Nourished supplement line and you have a following that you would like to share our line with, or maybe you're already sharing with just family and friends, or you have a large following at a yoga studio or a Pilates class um, that you teach, or you're a health coach and want to be able to access these formulas at an affordable price point, well, it would be a great idea um, to apply for this program and you'll actually be able to support your household income as well, so make a little bit of money back and get a discount code for your followers. Absolutely. So we will put the link in the show notes to sign up to be a Naturally Nourished Ambassador. And we will be selecting applicants by the end of September. And again, for those of you listening real time, the end of September 2021. But we'll probably have an ongoing rolling thing. So you can always email us if you're looking to apply. Yes. And ambassadors get support from us on a quarterly basis, more frequently via email, but quarterly meetings. You get to sit down with us for at least an hour, usually more, um, and really pick our brains on these formulas, on specific protocols, kind of an ask us anything, really intimate, fun time to hang out. So if that yeah, I was going to say, you, you get yeah. to be kind of part of yeah, our family. Exactly. <laughs> An extension exactly. of the brand. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, lots to come in that department too, of like doing a dance class with all of our ambassadors and all of the things. Awesome. All right. Let's hear a word from Fond Bone Broth, and then we will talk to Taylor and Katie. So y'all know that I am quite obsessed with Fond Bone Broth. They make fabulous tasting bone broths that can really be your sous chef in a jar. They are wellness well made literally from the water that they source. They use artisanal well water, which has naturally occurring minerals and is tested daily for excellence. They cook their bone broth in stainless steel so that there's no leaching of toxic compounds. And they seal their broth in glass jars, which are beautiful and filled in my pantry. We're always using them to repurpose and uh, often even putting cold brew coffee or green tea infusions or leftover sides of veggies into their jars. Great, uh, beautiful, iconic glass jars. And they are sustainable in their sourcing of their ingredients. So they partner with organic farms to get uh, local produce. They also use free-range chicken, and they will be doing a grass-fed beef bone broth, which should totally yeah. be available yeah, yeah. by the time that this is airing. I, I know I I've been teasing it. I just got the email, like the Does, consumer email that, that very exciting. Yeah. Yes, I, I saw on their website they have it coming soon, yeah. so it's, it's real. I, I swear to you guys. But what we love about Fond is that they really take a functional approach. They are really hand-selecting ingredients not just for fabulous tonic flavor profiles, but to also aid in optimizing the absorption of nutrients and get that diversity and density. So some of my favorites as of recent, the Spring Clean, I haven't said the name of that before on an episode, the Spring Clean is the one that is my standard go-to, and this is yellow onion, lemon, and radish. It's just really fabulous. The acid of the lemon is really nice and it cuts that kind of heaviness of bone broth. It's one that you can absolutely sip on even in the summer. And then the youth tonic is one that I'm always using if I'm cooking Asian vegetable profile. So I swear like I'm adding that in. That has shiitake, sage, and shallot in that youth tonic bone broth. So that's one that I'll add if I'm making uh, bok choy, for instance, 
or daikon radish in a stir fry. That's one that I'll often deglaze my pan with. And I've used that with various meat preparations as well. And then the conductor is another fan favorite. This is butternut squash, chipotle seasoning, and rosemary. And they don't blend the butternut squash in, so it's still zero grams of carbs. It's just giving you that beautiful infusion of flavor. Uh, and all of their jars of bone broth are gonna provide a nice amount of protein. So this is where you can actually consider doing like a three-day bone broth fast where you would consume simply just four jars of fond bone broth, maybe do those three flavors and then throw in the turmeric cracked black pepper one and you have great variety to switch up your day, but you're also going to be meeting that minimum 60 grams of protein a day to maintain active muscle mass while you're giving your gut some loving and supporting a nice immunological boost for your body as well. So something strong to consider. Go on over to fondbonebroth.com, use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout, and that is a great way for you to let them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast, and also you will save on that order. All right, let's read their bios, and then we'll bring on Taylor and Katie. Taylor and Katie are co-founders of Rome Ranch, as well as Epic Provisions, the industry pioneering meat brand devoted to growing supply chains of regeneratively sourced animals on a global scale. Epic's rise led to a full acquisition of the brand by General Mills in 2016 and has since allowed the couple to accelerate their vision of a large-scale positive impact beyond imagination. Working every day towards regenerating their own ranch, Taylor and Katie hope to inspire the next generation of land stewards. In their journey, the couple is proving that when properly managed, livestock can restore ecosystems, heal soil, nourish consumers, regenerate rural economies, and invigorate wildlife habitats. Uh, Through ranching, Taylor and Katie hope to create a meaningful impact on the lives of others, the health of consumers, and the ecological wealth of our lands. Hey, Taylor. Hey, Katie. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Hey, hey, thanks for having us. Great guest. Stoked to be here. Awesome. Well, we are equally stoked. We're super excited to have you guys on the show, and we have a lot of ground to cover. We have been fans of what you guys are doing from the foundation of Epic Provisions to the transition to Rome Ranch, and really want to honor you guys in taking an essential role in maintaining the viability and integrity of our food system. So thank you for being a pillar in that. It makes us proud as Texans to share the space. Yes. Um, I opened with listeners a little bit about the couple times that I've been out on the ranch. I think three times now, once for a buffalo migration and a farm tour with friends. And then Brady and Byron, our husbands, did the turkey harvest last year, which was super special. They got a like heirloom chocolate turkey and we incorporated the feathers into all of our tablescape yeah. and everything and really special stuff. So I'd love to start from the beginning and hear about how you guys got started with Epic from concept and just kind of an overhaul of how quickly things blew up and um, the transition to acquisition from General Mills and concerns, culprit, you know, clash of culture and some of the pieces there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's golly to dive into this story. It's just so wild. Like I always feel like to talk about this stuff, we should be sitting around a campfire, um, yeah. looking up at the stars, uh, but we'll make do here today. And um, so, okay, when we started Epic, it was many moons ago, what year was that? 2012? 12, we'll say. 
And, um, you know, Katie was a recovering vegan. She was like, can you just say what I love it when you, what you say? I don't know why Taylor likes it when I say this. So much. It's my favorite thing Katie says. So I feel like it just adds validation to the story. We use the same term recovering vegan. Yeah, yeah. We appreciate that wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I was just having a, a lot of, uh, health issues and, uh, Taylor likes it when I say that if I were vegan, I would be in a wheelchair or maybe dead. Bam. See, it's so much better if Katie says it than if I say it. Yeah. Cause you know what I mean? It's like personal testimony. So anyways, Katie was like not thriving in life. She was a beta female, like low on the, <laughs> low on the pecking order. If she was a chicken. But still, I'm like <laughs> insulted by this. I'm like, still, I was still winning races. I don't know what okay. you're talking about. It's, it's still rude. True, I was still alpha-ish. Let's just say her days. The alpha were, attitude was there. The nourishment wasn't right. there. The nourishment was lacking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if she was crushing that hard as a beta, I mean, just imagine now that she's alpha, right? <laughs> we, we like had this crazy realization. We're on this wrong path in our life and made this radical pivot to reintroduce. It was a holistic health practitioner, actually, who told us, you guys are silly. You need to just knock that out right now. And you need to start eating grass-fed, pasture-raised meats, cook your vegetables, eliminate grains, no soy, um, no dairy. And they're like, okay, well, that's, that's weird. Like we're going to do it. Cause we're kind of up against the wall. Like Katie was 21 years old and was, I was put on rheumatoid arthritis medication. I was told I needed a total knee replacement, just like, you know, very Western medicine, uh, like symptom fixing, um, but never like trying to get down to the root cause of why at 20 something I was having like such extreme symptoms. Yeah. And I didn't want my, the love of my life to be a, a peg leg. So instead of cutting her leg off, we were like, yeah, let's start eating bacon and grass fed meat. And so we did it. We went all in and it was so game changing. Like I came in, it's just feels fake but it I mean it happened in like a matter of days just years of issues gastrointestinal systemic inflammation just went away poof disappeared and we were training at really high levels like Katie said she won her first Ironman uh triathlon and was competing in the national championships I guess the international championships the world championship wow, race I didn't know any that. yeah yeah, training really hard for it. And this was like right at this time where we made this really uh, radical life pivot in our diet and lifestyle. And so we're like out, you know, we're doing hundred mile bike rides, doing marathon runs, and we're like cooking bacon and bacon is in our back pocket. And yes. <laughs> it was freaking awesome. It was like so elevated being, you know, like it was just what our bodies needed and what we craved. And we were so exuberant and um, felt like we were recovering better. It felt like we had had a lot more energy. So we just kind of said, hey, you know what we should do? We should make a bar, like a protein bar or an energy bar, but actually out of, you know, grass-fed, high-quality animals, kind of consistent with our evolutionary biology, something that we're intended to, to digest, like whole food protein. What is that? Well, damn, that's, that's bison, that's beef, that's lamb, that's turkey. And so we started Epic and that was kind of the genesis of that and a really big pivot in our life. And, uh, and then we rock and rolled with Epic really fast for what? Three. Three and a half, four years, had an amazing time growing the brand. I think it's important to note that whenever we started Epic, we really founded the company on this idea that 
human nutrition was accomplished when you ate consistently with our biology and our evolution, but really when you're going to consume animal protein, that animal needs to be on pasture, eating the diet it was intended to eat. And that was kind of like our view of putting this puzzle together for this superfood, this meat-based superfood. And in our journey with Epic, we, we recognized that we were missing the most critical component, which is the soil. So like all yeah. human nutrition, if you're plant-based, animal-based, it all begins at the soil level. And without healthy, thriving soil, you don't have healthy, thriving plants, you don't have healthy, thriving animals, and then the end consumer will always be nourished. Or malnourished. Malnourished, anti-nourished. And so um, that, was, that was our journey. And then well, we sold the company, yeah, to General Mills in 2000 and- 16. 16, yeah, and, and we didn't ever really plan on that, but it was kind of one of these things where the mission of Epic was to grow supply chains of regenerative protein. So convert as many acres as we possibly could. And we had these three legacy goals. And one of them was to convert a million acres of conventional farmland to regenerative grazing land. And I was like, holy shit, if we ever do this, we're gonna put this on our freaking tombstone. Like this was Absolutely. our moon. <laughs> and, and so we always recognize like, if we did find the right partner that could take our vision and our mission and accelerate it, amplify it bigger than we could in our lifetime, then that was gonna be a no brainer. And shockingly enough, General Mills came up and they were a really fantastic partner. And that million acres conversion goal, we were able to do that in our first year with General Mills supporting the brand. Yeah, and, and General Mills taking that mission and, you know, implementing regenerative practices into some of their other brands, which has been, you know, like I had nothing to do with them transitioning their oat supply to regenerative, but I, I sort of did. You know what I mean? Like- um, Inspired the change, yeah. Yeah, so like- making big, huge, um, transitions for a company like that is just, it makes me feel really proud that we kind of helped with that. That's amazing. I'm always curious, like, was there any clash of culture initially or, or, um, where you really had to like push for your, um, your goals and your founding beliefs in that transition? Um, yes and no. I mean, when, when we met with General Mills initially, you know, like they were, you know, like one of the first things they asked us was like, what are your, what are your values? What are you the most proud of? What, what is Epic's legacy going to be? And it wasn't about like EBITDA and finances and margins and stuff. And so we really, they really, and we really embraced, um, growing our mission, growing our impact, um, putting values first in everything that we did after the acquisition. Um, and, you know, like, of course, there's going to be like cultural differences between a team of 12 and uh, an enormous company that has 20,000 employees in one building. Right. Um, and, and you know, know what health is and doesn't know what, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you know, like as an organization, like there are people in that organization that, that do know what health is sure. and they are doing things to transition, um, you know, like their supply chains to a healthier supply chain. Um, but like what we can do as a small company is we can do that very quickly. We can take a stance and, and make changes very quickly as a big company. It's, you know, you have one really loud voice that's trying to make changes that has to convince people on this, you know, bureaucratic journey, basically, you know, they have to sign up a hundred people onto their, their goal and uh, get them on board before they can make transitions. You know what I'm saying? So sure. we can do things quick. They do things super slow. And 
that's hard. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, hard. No doubt. And did y'all personally, were you starting to homestead? I'm assuming you started Epic with direct relationships, you know, with ranchers and such. And then as the demand grew, that started to become national and XYZ. So on your own personal scale, the transition to homesteading in Fredericksburg, you know, was that an incentive as well of like, Hey man, we don't know that we want to work in a business environment. We want to be this reality. And, and what did that look like for you? When did you make the shift? Did you start with chickens at home in Austin or what was kind of that, that transition, I suppose. Yeah. To, to getting out on the ranch in Rome. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I don't know why I have a really strange aversion to the word homesteading because I don't feel like it's what we do here. Um, I feel like homesteading feels very, um, I want to say like intentional and well, (laughs) I mean, what we do is intentional, but um, it feels very like constructed, uh, you know, like first I need my chickens and then I need my, and then I'm going to add one goat and then I'm going to have my bees over here. And I have to be self-sufficient. I have mason jars everywhere. Like there's like this picture of what homesteading looks like. That's not what it looks like on our, on our ranch. Like our ranch is very dynamic and um, ever changing. And, you know, like we, we see a problem with pests and then we incorporate birds into the mix. And so like, we are constantly like trying to work with nature to solve the problems that we see here on the ranch as opposed to like trying to build out a system for ourselves that works. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. sure. But we did, I mean, you know, when we, when we sold the company, we thought, Hey, this would be awesome. Like if, if we ever had the opportunity to double down on our mission and yeah, be the change and accelerate the change in agriculture through demonstration and educating other ranchers and impacting Texas landscapes, well, shit, we do that in a heartbeat. That would be like our dream in life. So when we sold Epic, that was kind of exactly what we did. We just reinvested um, our money into land and it was really degraded land. It didn't get much worse than what we found out in the hill country. And uh, we told the story about using animals to positively impact it. And, you know, now at the ranch, we have thousands of people coming in and out year round, anywhere, everywhere from like 80 year old ranchers to like, you know, six year old little kids that uh, harvest their own Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, it's just like so diverse, but it's all about connecting people back to the landscapes, to the animals they depend on and teaching them about soil. And, uh, and so it's been a journey, but yeah, we started with some birds because the land was so degraded. I mean, it was old farmed fields and you can't acquire land that's worse than something that was farmed in monoculture. Mm-hmm. I mean, like all day long, if it was overgrazed to shit, uh, you can rehab that in just a couple seasons, but an old farm field that has been literally, you know, war has been waged against it chemically, mechanically, um, you know, you're combating nature for years. And we acquired fields that had been in that state for 60 plus seasons. And, um, and so we had to bring out like chickens first and honeybees, to just kind of like try to improve the diversity and bring out, you know, fertilizer and organic matter back to the property. And then the bison, they were like our big species that we brought out and we didn't even have the food to feed them. And so we had to roll out hay. In okay, these I was ask. Yeah. Degraded old fields. And, you know, like the bison did their thing. They trampled that carbon, that hay material into the soil. They broke up compacted soil. They, you know, urinated, deposited manure, spread seeds. I mean, they were like the catalyst for life and change back on this ecosystem. Let's talk more maybe about soil health and, and um, just this whole 
concept of bringing it back to life, I guess, um, because I don't think we've given nearly enough airtime to this topic. So let's talk about why robust viable soil is key and, you know, how, how treating the earth as just this like anchor point of, you know, sterilization and, and dead soil can destroy our food system. Yeah, the, I mean, the way that we farm globally is with an extractive mindset. It's, you know, how much can I squeeze out of an acre of land and how cheaply can I do that? And you gotta think like, if you manage your bank account in the same way, your bank account would collapse because you'd pull all your money out as fast as possible, you know, and like without any regards to anything else. And so we've essentially caused uh, the health of our ecosystems and our soil to collapse globally. And, um, you well, know, simultaneously our health as a species has declined at the same rate. Yes. Wow. It's all so freaking interconnected. And, um, you know, we do a lot of testing out here and something that I feel is really fascinating, relevant to your audience and you too is, you know, like we have these global mineral and vitamin deficiencies and, you know, we're talking about things like magnesium, selenium, boron, yeah, calcium, like you look at these things and, and then you kind of start tracing back like, well, what happened to all those minerals? Like, why are we all supplementing? And you say, okay, well, is it in our animals? Is it in, our, is it in the plants that the animals are eating or the crops that our farms are growing? It's like, holy shit, they're absent in our animals and they're absent in our, you know, plant-based uh, agriculture systems. You gotta like dig deep and you're like, well, where is this stuff? And it's in the soil, but it's just not fixing to the plants because the biology this complex ecosystem that's underneath the ground is not functioning at a high level. I mean, on our ranch, it was a fraction of what it was supposed to be. And that's not unique to our ranch. And so, you know, like the hope is that we can reproduce nourishing food. We can fix these minerals and these vitamins back to our food and heal our bodies, but it all begins with the land. And so that's been a really big focus for us um, of what we're doing here. So let's talk about some of the tactics. So you talked about the Buffalo with their weight <laughs> and the impact kind of bringing that carbon into the soil. Did you do any like ozone, ozonation, I think it's called, right? Or like solarizing or were you, were you doing any other techniques as far as viability? And, and let's talk about how you, how you rotate your animals in pasture to help to support the viable ecosystem. Yeah, we, um, so we have used uh, chicken manure before as kind of like a compost catalyst. We've made compost teas and different slurries where we've applied things like uh, seaweed and mineral sea salts. And With vermicast. Yeah, vermicast mm -hmm. or verm poop mm -hmm. is like the elixir of life. If you can get that on your soil, you're good to go. Um, and then cover crops. So like intentionally planting seeds year round so you can harvest the power of the sun and fix carbon, deposit that in the soil, feel the biology, get those growing roots to change the structure of the soil, which improves the water infiltration when it rains, improves organic matter. So your ability to hold that rain in the soil, it all kind of works with crops and with some of these amendments we've done. Totally. Yeah. I remember you've done that demo, uh, with your tour where you show your soil versus like the runoff and erosion that we can see with dead soil essentially. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the importance of native grasses. I think it was over the freeze in Texas. I saw on Instagram, you were sharing, I'm not sure what variety of deer it was, but you were showing like those that were by the cedar trees, which weren't native, I believe if I'm, if I'm remembering this right. 
there was a lot of, of carnage. A lot of them died and that maybe there's difference of actually thermogenesis or, or the actual temperature regulation of the soil based on plant matter. Yeah, that, I mean, that's something that's really resonated with consumers. They were like, how do we make soil sexy? Like, what is, what's going to get people excited? Yeah. And, that, and that was like a really interesting demonstration of soil health. And so, yeah, we had this, you know, once in a hundred year freeze uh, out here in central Texas and everyone lost power, everyone lost water. And I mean, the animals suffered. And we have these, this big type of deer out here called axis deer. And they're originally from India not supposed to be here but you know like some hunters brought them in in the 40s and they a fence fell down and they broke through the fence and now they're proliferating and they're thriving in the hill country displacing a lot of the native deer well these deer were absolutely smoked by the freeze and a lot of them uh literally you know bedded down and froze to death where we counted over 100 about 125 of these dead deer i mean all oh. over the whole area but the interesting thing was we started measuring soil temperature and so i mean we had like three four inches of snow on the ground we moved that out of the way so in these pastures where we've been practicing these regenerative uh, principles planting cover crops the soil was 20 percent warmer than some of our far, uh, our neighbors farmed fields wow. where they were doing yeah the mechanical tilling the chemical herbicide, pesticides. So like the soil health was nuked. And so that's the difference between life or death. So we weren't finding these dead animals on our property, but literally on the other side of fences, I mean, they were just stacking up, which was so sad. And likely that's that microbial activity, yeah. right? That's the viability, it's living, your soil's alive. And that's why it maintains that temperature. That's so wild to consider. Yeah, I know that just from composting alone, like yeah, the heat that's the generated. Hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so crazy. Yeah, that and then also, you know, like when you cover your soil, you're, you're, it's like putting a blanket on your soil. Okay. So it helps insulate it as well. And are there particular, how did, what was the learning curve of working with what grasses or like native grasses in that sense? Well, when we first bought the property, as Taylor said, like the majority of the place was degraded and had no living plants on it at all. Okay. And so in our minds, we were like, oh, well, all we need to do is go buy some you know, bag of native seeds and toss them out. And then we're going to start growing grass. But the soil, the biology was so dead that it didn't even recognize those seeds as something that it could help germinate. Mm -hmm. wow. And so it was like throwing money in the trash basically. Um, and so what we've learned is that we've had to identify which seeds or which plants would actually do well with super low fertility plants basically. Um, and then you start planting your low secession cover crops, and then those start building the soil back, bringing back life underneath the, the soil. And, um, and season over season, you can start bringing in higher secession grasses. And so um, this is the first year that we, that we re-put out native grasses, grass seeds. Um, after four years, our soil is finally able to recognize them as as plant species and we're starting to see some native species starting to pop back up which is awesome cool cool yeah but it takes time yeah yeah and and within all of this is kind of that underlying element of food security right that your land was able to survive through that freeze and that the animals on it were able to survive so i want to transition maybe and and talk a little bit more about food security as an essential element to 
freedom. Um, and our audience is, is familiar with this meat as medicine approach. Um, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on (laughs) the rise of these vegetarian and vegan products and the meat analogs and, you know, beyond Meat, impossible burger, all of (laughs) the junk, um, and, and maybe even talking about, you know, some of the policy potential restrictions on red meat consumption and, you know, knowing that Bill Gates is now the top farmland owner in the U S um, let's just talk a little bit about what we can do to ensure access to, Oh, and let me preface yeah, go ahead. Good Gates quote. <laughs> no, all all yeah. rich countries <laughs> should move to 100% synthetic beef in effort to cut down pollution. You can get used to the taste difference. And the claim is they're going to make it taste even better over time. <laughs> so I'll just leave you guys with that and just love to hear your feedback. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Can't wait to eat that. Um, so I think the first part with the food security, it's, um, it is important to recognize that there are billions of people uh, across the globe that live in environments that are uh, arid environments or semi-arid environments. They're not conducive to farmland. You can't grow monocultures on these areas. And uh, the large part of Texas um, is semi-arid or arid. And so our area, central Texas, like you cannot feed uh, a community of, of maybe more than <laughs> like a small town with plant-based agriculture. It's just not, you know, we get 28 inches of rainfall a year, but typically you'll get like six inches at a time and then it won't rain for three or four months. And then it's like hundred degrees for 30 days straight. And you just can't depend on plant-based agriculture to feed our population that way locally. And so, I mean, this is just a great example and this is how it is. I mean, on, uh, hundreds of millions, billions of acres globally, but it's like our local food supply is, is wild game. I mean, we have an abundance of wild boar, of deer, um, and then native species like bison returning back to our ecosystem, they thrive. And uh, through land management, we're able to, we are right now at our ranch, we have three times the stocking density. So we have three times more animals per acre of land than anyone else in our community because we're managing it differently and we have more wildlife and we have more grasses and we have more diversity and we have better water infiltration. So our system is functioning. So as far as like food security goes, this style of agriculture is the most stable and secure in central Texas in our region. Yeah. And I think about exactly what Taylor said, you know, like if, if we really stopped relying on each other or you know like these bigger companies to feed us i hate the concept that like certain organizations or certain people should be feeding an abundance of people um you know like it's a disconnection from our food system just in general right like i think that concept is what gets us into this fake meat acceptance in the first place when you are so disconnected from your food system where your food comes from, how a plant actually grows, how an animal actually digests grass and turns it into protein. When you're so disconnected from that, it's easy to jump on board to some bullshit like vegan propaganda train of cows are ruining the planet um, because you don't know. And it's funny because it's like, when you look at the demographics of who is going, who, who are these highly uh, concentrated demographics of vegans? They're all within metropolitan areas, right. which is ex- 
a region where you can't grow food. You're actually, you know, like punished if you have your own backyard chickens. There's area, you can't grow your own food. The city won't allow you to grow your own food. Uh, which is so interesting when you think about like dependence upon this bigger system, which is so great for Bill Gates to be the owner of the system, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, and it, it's the same dependency, like going full circle, Katie, to your health journey, right? On pharma, it's it's the dependency of being viable based on your terrain or based on the interconnectedness of optimized function versus relying on a a system, if you will. And we look at like beyond meat went public in 2019. One of the only thing that exploded, you know, in the first three months of the lockdown went up 859%. And the fake meat industries were 12 billion said to double in 2025. And we have to pause as health warriors or individuals that care about the health of the earth, the health of the human frame and question that narrative um, that's being used against the most natural way to participate in this world. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you're a consumer and you think that global elites like Bill Gates and international health organizations and pharmaceutical companies that own patents for uh, all the plants that are in Beyond Meat, I mean, you're just <laughs> you're kidding yourself. Like, these mm -hmm. people could care less about your health and your wellness. Right. They have the absolute worst track record of caring about public health. If they were like, if these people could go to jail, they would have been like serving multiple life sentences, you know, convicted multiple times throughout their professional careers. And so why are we trusting these people to be the stewards of our, of our health and our land, right? Like, not me, not us. We're, we're with you hundred percent, hundred ten percent. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit, kind of taking that further of what you've learned from maybe watching the Buffalo or maybe another species on your land and this connection of interconnectedness. So I think what we're kind of talking about is myopic narratives, right. That drive, like, this is bad. So you need to do this. Like right now we're in this space of fear mongering with a virus. And it's this myopic, put this over your face and get this experimental injection. It, it doesn't matter to talk about vitamin D. It doesn't matter to talk about inflammation. It doesn't matter to talk about the microbiome. In fact, all of those things are being suppressed. I think that you could take a step back and say a meat analog product that is made in a breaking bad lab is a chemical shitstorm versus a whole food. And that most people could acknowledge that, but, but here we are, right? So when we're talking about interconnectedness and learning from nature, how nature models is there anything that would be cool to share about kind of observing the species that you work with, I guess, and how they manage their tribes, their, their groupings, and, and some of the, the lessons that we could take to get back to the remembering, I guess, of, of what our role is here as humans? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I'm sure Katie has a good <laughs> esoteric question. Sure, sure. That's a campfire cool. question, man. We yeah. definitely need to be looking at the stuff. Well, this is something that we've been uh, debating and talking about for a long time, but it's like uh, kind of one of the unspoken things in the livestock industry. If you have bison, cattle, sheep, goats, you, you vaccinate your animals, you, you deworm them, you give them injections like vitamin injections. And essentially, just like human beings, when you do this to animals, you're not addressing a root cause of any problem. You're perpetuating a dysfunctional system or a cycle. And so like for us, if we were going to 
simply vaccinate or treat, treat animals that were unhealthy, like maybe they are more predisposed to things like pink eye or they are getting infections or have, you know, chronic diarrhea, you know, like those aren't healthy animals. The, the solution, the long-term solution isn't to medicate them. And so as land stewards, we've really had to recognize that and double down, triple down on animal nutrition, really focusing on gut biome, uh, biodiversity within the foods that they eat and um, kind of break away from that system, really recognize what true health is and where true health comes from. And so when we, when we bought the ranch, you know, it was in a very degraded state. Um, the animals, they were serving a role for the ecosystem, but they were certainly not thriving, right? And so um, our birthing rates were super low. I think our first year we had got 60 cow we were at like 30 percent um calving rate yeah so out of 60 cows we had like 30 percent it was so low have babies right and that's the ultimate sign of of health yeah. and we're yeah. going through a lot of these same things with humans as well right like we're losing fertility um and so you know like the answer for us was not medicate medicate meditate let's go to our veterinarian let's find out what we need to supplement with the answer for us was really clear it was in nature's image let's treat these animals um, as if they were wild animals and feed them the diets they were evolved to eat. And um, we've been able to build up that health and that gut biome in these animals to now where we have nearly 100% um, fertility year over year, and we've weaned out all the medications. Um, this year, we're, we're not going to vaccinate a single animal on the ranch, uh, no matter what the veterinarians try to scare us into thinking. Uh, we just trust the animals, we trust their gut biome, we trust their health. And that's been a powerful lesson for us. Yeah, no doubt. It's huge. And especially the fertility piece. I think that is like the ultimate testament to health. We talk about it all the time. And, and you guys are pretty, if I understand correct, just from my limited exposure out there, I don't want to use the right, this word, I'm not sure how it'll come off, but non-interventionist in the sense of like, you know, my mind as a nerdy science person is like, oh, do you like reserve colostrum after the first <laughs> calves are born to use in the pink eye in case like, but you kind of just let them work it out or do you use, you know, more functional or holistic tools? Like, do you do herbal compresses or anything like that to treat infections and such? Yeah. So bison are different animal they are still mostly wild so there's yeah. there's yeah there's no hot compress on a bicycle no. <laughs> unless you feel like dying that day no um and and you know like we've really another i would say another lesson that we've really learned here is that any time that we intervene whether it be an animal is sick or making what we perceive as a bad decision or not acting the way that we think that it should be it always backfires on us every time. Um, I'll just give you an example of, we have uh, these heritage breed turkeys that we get for th the Thanksgiving harvest every year. And we always keep, I don't know, 20, 30 or so, just cause we love having them around. And so spring rolls around and all the females, they just go crazy. They just go wherever the fuck they want. They're, you know, like the other day we found them like two miles from our ranch and um, and it were like the first year that this happened, we were herding them back to our ranch, you know, like we were like, Oh, jump in the mule. They're over by the, you know, our neighbor's house. Let's round them up and walk them back. 
Um, and over time we realized that, you know, like they were going they're they're on a journey for whatever reason we, we have identified that these hens are going off to lay eggs and bring their babies back. You know, like they're going to a safe place that they perceive to be safe, where they have access to food and water. Um, and one time, <laughs> I think this is like two years ago. Um, one of the hens was at our neighbor's house and had bedded down under this beautiful tree to sit on her eggs. And Myrtle, our neighbor, had been going over there every day while the turkey would get up to go find food and water. And she would take some of the eggs to eat them. <laughs> and we were so upset. We were like, how can Myrtle be eating these eggs? We have to move the mom. And so we got the mom. We picked up all the eggs and we brought her over to our place and we put her in this like such a safe little confined coop. It was like this huge peacock coop. And we were like, she'll be safe here. Nobody's going to steal her eggs. She doesn't, there's no, you know, like uh, access point for predators. Turns out the mom was like, screw you guys. I'm never sitting on those eggs ever again. <laughs> and, we, and we basically killed like 20 plus turkey well, baby. And Myrtle had a thing here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Taking the abundance, like it was fun. <laughs> and so it's just like every time that you interfere, yeah, it, it backfires every time. But we do. I mean, like we have learned that uh, back to your kind of like supplementation. We yeah. do. Um, we we love like we, a couple things. Uh, we give the animals uh, Redmond sea salt, which is like mm -hmm. yeah. grade sea salt for all the trace minerals. Yeah, I love and it. We're like, and these are these are things that Katie and I personally eat to boost right. our own health. We uh, we give them fulvic acid and humates, which are like ancient earth soils with like yep. loaded with, you know, uh, microbiome, uh, which we also take that ourselves. And, um, and apple then, cider vinegar is like great, like dewormer. Yeah, yeah. There's just so many unintended consequences, right? So like if a, like if a bison has flies, people are like, man, why are you guys letting that bison get flies on its back? And it's itching itself and it's obviously irritated. And, and the kind of the response is like, well, you know, we could medicate that. We could put some pesticides, spray it on her back, but what's, that gets absorbed into her skin. It gets absorbed into her microbiome, her gut. It nukes the gut biome. It goes into the manure. It lands on the soil. It nukes the biology in the soil. So it's like everything is interconnected. There's always unintended consequences. And so to your point about really just kind of stepping back, trusting the system, trusting yeah. the animals, trusting mother nature and her wisdom, uh, that gets us to a place where we're not always having to intervene. And the bison know, you know, like whenever they have really bad flies and we put them in an area where there's cedar trees, like they know to go to the cedar tree and kick the shit out of the cedar tree and get all those oils on their backs. And it yeah. you know, like helps with fly issues. Um, so they know. That's awesome. And, and I, I love that trusting the innate wisdom of nature. And also the fact that there's this hormesis, you know, that could be occurring that we don't know, you know, we're still just tipping at the surface of what we understand that nature provides. And for all we know, that battle of the bites, that bison may be making this endogenous, meaning like produced by its own body, super antioxidant, <laughs> like yeah. to like battle the stress. And so I think that that's a really important thing that when we try to band-aid, we're interfering with a process that could be far superior than we could even comprehend. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And we know that happens with plants. Like we know that if healthy plants are being attacked by pest insects that they communicate through mycorrhizal pathways and they can mine minerals and things that deter those insects and strengthens them and they share those resources. 
so yeah, to your point, there's, I mean, nature is so complex and let, let's be honest, as humans, we have a hard time admitting that we really don't know shit, but yeah. <laughs> we know very little about the complexity of nature. We know how to like build badass engines and rocket ships, but we like can't understand soil. No. And so I think that's okay. It's a mystery, but you just have to also just trust that, you know, mother nature's got it right over the billions of years of evolution. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious how all of this has played into your own perspective on nutrition going from, you know, starting Epic or even prior to that as, you know, vegans, um, now managing land, raising bison, like what have you learned in terms of your own nutrition or, or what aspects of that, I guess, have you brought into your own household and kitchen? Man, I feel like I've kind of, uh, personally kind of gotten on like the, I don't want to say the, I'm on like the, the crazy scale. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I'm actually, I know so much about the food industry and like the food industry's dirty little secrets about like sub ingredients that don't need to be labeled and all the things that I basically fear eating food at restaurants and from the grocery store. And it really has turned my diet into mostly meat um because that's what we have available on our ranch and you know like we could grow vegetables but you know for our region it's like tomatoes and peppers and really high inflammatory foods you know like and i i have to avoid nightshades just period and so that's not really an option for me to consume that on a regular basis so anything so you guys talked about the redmond salt and the um cultures that you're consuming and such how about were you guys doing like bone broth and and organ inclusion as much as you are now and how has that evolved or kind of working with palette shifts and things like that yeah we do um we do organs through the um uh, kind of like the force of nature line we've built that ancestral blend is what we call it and it's yes. like the right amount of organs to where it's actually proportional to the how the animal is so like you know, if you have a thousand pound bison, what's the weight of the meat and then versus the heart and the liver and incorporating that in the right amount. So it's like you're utilizing the whole animal, honoring the whole animal and it's in a whole form. Um, But yeah, we're reintroducing a lot. We've been doing that for a long time and absolutely love it. Um, What I guess some of my other kind of favorite things we do a lot of hunting out here and other, you know, animal field harvest, but we've really elevated the game with these experiences. And now every time we harvest a bison, I mean, it's like, I'm first up, I'm drinking blood flowing out of that animal's neck. I am sharing that. That's hard. That's hardcore. It sure is. (laughs) Like bone broth, schmone broth. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like we've had, I mean, the most unsuspecting people who would never eat liver a day of their life, eat hot raw liver from a bison. Yeah. We've even had people drizzle bile on liver. Taylor gets pretty strange when we have our bison. Yeah. It's like pretty primal. he took his shoes off and he's like standing in blood and like he like really wants to connect with the animal like on a level that is, I'm not there yet is what I'm getting at. I'm not there. <laughs> but I'm other, not drinking blood. Other people are there. I mean, consumers are there and it's like people, just this awakening, it's people like tapping into, um, epigenetics that have been switched off for a long yes, time yes. and then they, they see it and they smell it and they they see someone else doing it and they just like go in they just trust their instincts and try these wild things eating fresh heart um it's it's awesome i mean just to see these people and they love it but we haven't had a single person 
I mean, there's hundreds of people that have done this and it's like the favorite part of the whole bison harvest experience. Love it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Let's talk about the bio uh, no, I think the bile sack has been. So, yeah, we heard, okay, so it's like local lore that the Comanche Indians, you know, the most badass Indians of all time, like these guys rolled back Western expansion. Like they, in all these old ancient documents and stories, they talk about how when they killed the bison, they would eat the liver first, but they would drizzle bile on it. And like even Joe Rogan's talked about this on his podcast, like, shit, I want to do that so bad. And so we did it. And I think that might've been a joke to play on the white man. <laughs> that's the worst thing i ever ate in my life i know it's like does the acid help to like break right, right. down the liver and tenderize it like right. you it would yeah process. or like remove some of the gamey flavor no it's a joke <laughs> wow. oh my gosh love it um what about like other highlights of events that you guys hold out there and and other other than the bison harvest which sounds like we need to go to and experience Um, needs to come yeah yeah yeah. she'd have a good process she's had enough time now on ranches where she gets it and i think it's important that we impart that right away with our children Uh understanding of the connectedness of the life cycle of the animal um, yeah, let's talk a minute about that. So actually first, can we go into, so you talked force of nature, ancestral blend. Um, let's talk about what products you guys have that are available nationally and then what are maybe regional specific and then things for those listeners that are in the Texas area or looking to travel Texas, things they could check out and, and timestamp of events that you guys offer out at the ranch. Sure. So we sell uh, Force of Nature meats nationally, and um, you can also order it on our website. We ship nationally, but it's a collection of regenerative ranchers like Rome Ranch, so a lot of independence family ranches that were building a new supply chain and were, for the first time, establishing a national brand at a retail level to communicate the importance of this regenerative revolution to consumers and give them the option to vote for that with their purchasing power. And so it's a really exciting time. Um, Let's see, we have all types. Are you types. guys thinking of doing any sausages with that line? Just a personal question. <laughs> yes, we oh. have. I want sausage. <laughs> Give us two months and it will yeah. be launching. Really? We have breakfast yeah. sausages coming out, which are so next level. We have like bison, venison, yes. wild boar, chorizo, different stuff. And then we have link sausages too that are mm, so, so good. elevated. And if you come out to the ranch, you get to have uh, Taylor's turbo sausage. I have, I have purchased that, yes. Dang, okay, so it's modeled after idea. that okay that, that's okay. good stuff awesome awesome fabulous yeah we've we've featured you guys just uh last week on our mm-hmm. youtube we did a video all about liver and demystifying liver and we made liver meatballs and used the well we, we used a whole cut of liver from a cow share that we have but we featured the force of nature ancestral blend because we think that's the one we're commonly recommending to clients because it's just accessible which we we love that and i love i didn't know that there was that collaborative movement yeah. of ranchers that are doing the same thing so that makes me want to vote with my dollar even more champion yeah well thank you so let's hear about the uh, events oh man we have a lot of <laughs> um what do you think what do you, i mean we have everything so i think one really key about uh again looking into the wisdom of mother nature is in really thriving ecosystems there's an abundance and diversity and so the way that we form our lives and form our businesses and form our relationships should be in that image, right? And so diversity adds resilience. Um, And at our ranch, we have a diverse system in place. So we have an Airbnb, we do private ranch tours, we do public, you know, bison calf tours, we do 
uh, regenerative ranching 101 kind of boot camps. We have high, like we teach people how to brain tan hides here, um, bison harvest, turkey harvest. I definitely would say that I think, hunting. My, yeah, hunting. And so again, like we just have all these engines of revenue that help support, it's like blood supporting more oxygen and nutrients to the bigger organism that is the ranch itself and allows us to reinvest that back into cover crops um, and compost and vermicast, which like earthworm poop is so expensive. It's not even funny, but <laughs> I wish we could, I wish we could like buy like train loads of earthworm poop. Um, Someone might be on that. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what's your favorite event? Uh, my favorite event's definitely the turkey harvest um, because we have families like full on from like grandparents, kids, grandchildren come on out and they get to pick out their bird. Um, they can kill it or we can. And then we teach them how to defeather, eviscerate um, and pack it all up and take home a warm bird that they eat a couple days later for Thanksgiving. Um, and it's just such a, an incredible event because everybody, I mean, it's the first time that some people have seen something die and it, yeah. And so to, to be able to offer somebody the opportunity to experience that is really awesome. I mean, like people leave the day with feathers that they get, as you said, but decorate their tables with, um, and they really honor the animal in a different way than they would if they were to buy a saran wrap turkey from H-E-B. Right. Um, and it was delicious too. Was delicious. Like it was I've been one of the best turkeys. Heirloom yeah. turkeys for at least over a decade, you know, from the farmer's market, you put in your deposit, la la la. But like, this was fantastic. Yeah. Next level. Yeah. Cause I think most of the heirloom ones I've purchased have not, yeah. Most of the ones from the ranchers we've gotten haven't been frozen ever also but yeah. there was something real special. Yeah. Probably the connectedness. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Chocolate, like, chocolate something variety. Yeah, chocolate. Is that the name? Is that yeah. a thing? Yeah, yeah. Chocolate's the breed. And, and people don't even know there's less than 20,000 of these heritage heirloom birds on the planet. But every year in America, we eat 60 million, you know, genetically modified butterball yeah. babies. Six, yeah. And so like these heirloom birds, they were grown for flavor, grown for resilience. And they're descendants of wild birds that were, you know, like captured 5,000 years ago. So they can fly, they can lay eggs, they can scratch, they can do everything a turkey can do. Whereas these production birds, they can barely walk. Like their legs break, their organs fail if they aren't harvested. They certainly and, don't fly. Oh, <laughs> hell no. We did a little experiment with some of those production, well, chickens compared to like pasture yeah, adapted yeah. chickens. And I mean, they sucked. They, they were just like, they were like uh, little fat kids sitting around playing video games all day eating Cheetos. Sure. Yeah. They were not healthy. Yeah, they would literally let the like badass prairie chickens just peck them to death while they were sitting in front of a fever eating. Oh my gosh. Lower than beta. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Does that make a delta variant? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I know. Oh goodness. All right. So y'all, um, you have any last questions? I just want to go into recall. Yeah, let, let's ask them what they eat. Okay, um, so got, we got an idea, obviously, mostly sounds carnivore-ish, but we always ask our guests before we let them go for their 24-hour recall. So yesterday, from when you woke up to when you went to bed, what did y'all have to eat just so we can get a true snapshot? And um, also, was there bison blood in the mix? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel lucky to communicate 
the last dinner that we had, it was, um, uh, we grilled six bison ribeyes from the ranch and they were awesome. They were so fatty. It was unbelievable. Um, and Katie's like, Katie just like carves out the fat and I, I ate the lean pieces, even though I like the fat too, but Katie's just like, she'll just swallow the fat hole. Yep. <laughs> um, so a lot of bison fat, a lot of bison. I don't even remember what we had. I think we had like several duck eggs. Yeah, we eat duck eggs. We eat siete tortillas every morning with duck eggs and okay. another meat, like a venison sausage. Oh, you know what we've been doing? We've been uh, doing a lot of research and development for Force of Nature new products. And so we've been eating a lot of, <laughs> a, lot of a lot of research and development stuff over the last day, actually. It's true. Yeah. Last 24 hours has been venison, wild boar, chorizo, venison, right. breakfast, sausage. I mean, like almost every meal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What, uh, did we eat any plants? We had watermelon. Oh, and watermelon. I think if you live in Texas and it's August and you don't eat watermelon, you're just missing out on life. Yeah, we don't trust those people. <laughs> it's like drinking bison blood in the winter. <laughs> you just got to do it. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to try all of the sausages. So I'll have to put my name in the hat for first dibs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get on our email list and we'll email you when it comes out. Okay, we'll do. And we'll put that list in our show notes as well as the forceofnature.com website. And then where are other places that people can connect and follow y'all? Uh, RomeRanch.com. Um, or That's on, where all of our events are. Yeah, or on Instagram at RomeRanch. R-O-A-M. Like oh where the Buffalo Rome, not like Rome, Italy. Not like, like the holy city. Very good to say, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> R-O-A-M Ranch and definitely follow along on Instagram as well. They're always sharing cool videos of day-to-day -day function over on the ranch. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank y'all. It was really nice talking and I'm sure we'll see you too uh, very soon. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well. <laughs>